Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're breaking down the Pascal Siakam trade to the Indiana Pacers. Officially, the deal is Siakam heading from the Raptors to the Pacers in exchange for Bruce Brown, a couple players that are just salary filler, and three first-round picks. So we will break down the value of the picks, the value that Siakam is bringing to the Pacers, We're going to do a deep dive on him. We're going to talk about his salary, his impending free agency. And yeah, we're just going to cover this trade kind of from top to bottom. So before we get into that, just real quick caveat, I got to, you know, shout out. Thanks to Taylor Swift for dating Travis Kelsey. Thank you to Travis Kelsey for starting a podcast and having his brother co-host the show. So what I'm getting at here is Jason Kelsey, offensive lineman for the Eagles. He's kind of a big, burly guy. And we sort of look alike. We both, you know, bigger guys, huge eyebrows, squinty eyes, similar hair. And my last two dates, both of the girls have brought up, without me prompting, they have brought up, they're like, you know, you kind of remind me of Jason Kelsey. And it's like, sort of, like from the nose up, I I could see it maybe a little bit. And just really a good time to be someone with like big eyebrows and squinty eyes. So thank you, Jason Kelsey for being good enough to make the NFL. And then for having your brother date a famous pop star and people kind of liking you on your podcast. Cause it's helping my dating game. So let's get back to the trade. Pascal Siakam going to the Indiana Pacers. This is pretty big news. Not often do we have top players moving around. I just released my top. I mean, it really was like a, top 148 players, but the the players actually ranked were the top 48. I had Siakam in that top 48 as a B-tier player. So by that, I mean he's a building block player. He's not a number one. He's probably a two or a three, but he is overall a two-way wing that gives you some scoring that in the past has given you some defense that's tailed off a little bit. Toronto hasn't been as good. His offensive load has been higher because they haven't been very good. Whenever that happens with players, their defenses kind of naturally trend down a little bit, but historically has been an above average helper on defense has been a shot creator on offense and has been a, a pretty good player, not an elite player, but a pretty darn good player. So top 48 guy, and right before we kind of break down what he is more than that kind of reminds me a little bit of Aaron Gordon, what he brings to the table where there's versatility, there's scoring, there's passing. Siakam's one of the highest guys in our defensive versatility metric, which is how often you guard different positions. So if I was going to give just a player comp off the top of my head, Aaron Gordon with maybe a little bit more scoring. Siakam is maybe a little bit more of a natural score than he is, has a, has a pretty decent mid-range game. That's generally the type of player that the Pacers are getting, and that fit on paper is really good because they have Tyrese Halliburton. Obviously, he's had a huge breakout season. He looks like a wizard on offense, point guard, assist extraordinaire, not turning the ball over, scoring really high efficiency, three-point shooting, what you love in a number one guy. I had him in the A tier of player. I had him in my top 15. Really, really good guy. That's your number one going forward. You had on the roster Miles Turner, who for me was like a B-minus player, which, again, is a building block guy, but he had good rim protection numbers, could score some on offense, could stretch it out, was a stretch five. That's a really rare skill set. Think Brooke Lopez, 
where you can shoot the three and also give really, really great interior defensive numbers. That's a valuable guy. But they were missing after that. It, it was a little bit thin on the team. Like, yes, there are some guys here and there that can do some things. But in terms of building block players, they only had two. And one of them in Miles Turner, is a, he's a good player, not a great player. So they trade for Siakam. He slides in as that number two guy. That knocks Miles Turner down a peg as your number three. And now all of a sudden, you know, we talk about big threes all the time, but Halliburton as your one. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Siakam as your two, a two-way wing. All right, that, that's not, it's not, you, you can have worst case scenarios. And then you have Miles Turner as your three. And I really like that core because I talk about this all the time. Skill overlap. You have Halliburton as your ball handler, three-point shooting. You have Siakam as your two-way wing, gives you some versatility on defense, can guard multiple positions. On offense, gives you some scoring punch. He's a good cutter. He's a good play finisher. He's really good in transition, which is going to work really well with Halliburton. We've seen it with Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin went from a guy on the Knicks that was tall and kind of athletic to tearing it up on the Pacers, just doing a ton of damage in transition. You add an additional transition piece in Siakam, who's, again, really, really good finisher. Again, we're going to go through it just like more in depth, but I'm just giving you a high level. This fits really well. Then when Halliburton goes to the bench, you still have like a 20-point-a-game score to you know keep punching I, I think Turner might be over 20 points a game right now this season but Siakam I would say is probably just a better raw score can do some more things in isolation more one-on-one talent so that gives you some kind of buying time for Halliburton on the bench but when they do play together should synergize well and then with Siakam not really a huge three-point shooter right every once in a while will like step out and hit one that's not really his game and probably like 33 percent right but playing alongside a stretch five to open things up in the paint because again Siakam is such a good finisher where like his ability to get to the basket is good not great but his ability to finish around the basket and in traffic with difficult shot quality is really strong and has been for years so I really like how these three guys synergize together not a lot of overlap not a lot of stepping on toes Right, your two, your your forward in Siakam and your your five and Miles Turner can play with Tyrese Halliburton. So, in terms of everyone fitting together well, I really like this a lot. You get a little extra creation with Siakam, and I talked about this in the production versus efficiency podcast. If you haven't listened to that episode, I think it's one of the best ones I've ever done, if not the best basketball index podcast. So that was the previous one. Go check that out. Passing always scales down well. Some things don't scale up well, right? Like just raw scoring doesn't always scale up when you go to better teams. But if you have the ability to pass, you have some court vision, things like that, that will always do well even when you have a smaller role, right? Because then there's more ball movement on the team. When things kind of get mucked up, having that extra creation can really be valuable. So that's something that is really, really scalable. So that's a good thing to have as like a secondary skill in one of your better players. So a lot of things to like with Siakam. A lot of things to like with... If you're Indiana, you're like, hey, we're a pretty young team. We signed Bruce Brown to kind of a big contract in the offseason, but he just came off a championship. He's a quality role player. We flip him and a few first-round picks for a legit like former all-star in Siakam, and that's that's got to be really exciting because this team already pretty good. Like <laughs> The in-season tournament isn't... I don't know what that should count as, but going to the finals in that, I know you lost to the Lakers, but 
as a fan base, you're excited because you're like, we're young, we're up and coming, things are going well, and now management has moved the chips to the center of the table to be like, we believe in this group, and we're going out and we're getting an established veteran player that is of quality. So that's exciting. Let's talk a little bit about where we'll just go through the Pascal Siakam scouting report, right? I've touched on a lot of this already, but I just want to go through it kind of in a more organized fashion. So, uh, you know, good water cooler tidbits. So Siakam the last few years has been a shot creator, which in our database means he's creating shots for himself. He's creating shots for others. That's hence the name shot creator. <laughs> On defense, he's been a helper. That means he's rotating over from the corner a lot. He's a lot of times the low man, things like that. So again, not that he can't guard on ball, but his general job, you're going to see this with a lot of like bigger forward players, a lot of helping. So he's in our helper role. On offense, doesn't have that, you know, insane singular skill that I'm normally drawn to in players where it's like, well, he's the best player in the league at this. And he is good enough at the other things, but he's a little bit of a jack of all trades. His mid-range game's probably his best asset, and he's been quite good there over 45% the last three seasons in each of the last three seasons, so that's good. So I know like raw mid-range shooting percentages aren't something we're all familiar with, but basically... If you're over 50%, that's absurd. Like, no, people don't really do that. I, maybe Kevin Durant <laughs> does it. But if you're, though, those seasons are rare and they're very, very good. High 40s is great. Mid 40s is, is fine, is good. You're getting some value out of it because it, it just leads to some offense. And then low 40s is what you want to stay away from. And high 30s is really, really bad. So uh, wherever you are, basically, most people are in the 40s somewhere. So he's been a, a little above average. Again, over 45% in the last three seasons. So really, really solid there. You can get some volume scoring. That's good. He is pretty good at getting to the rim, and he's really good finishing at the rim. Both his raw, just field goal rim percentage is, is pretty good, and then adjusted for difficulty, it's really good. Ability to finish over people. When you see him play, he's pretty long, and he's good at like elongating himself, stretching and bending around people. So pretty good athlete, and then... When you start having forwards finish around the basket, it's a different thing. Like guards got to be crafty and like spin and flip it up around people. And a lot of times forwards can like reach around, like contest things of that nature. So he's good there. Again, the three-point game is not really something he does. Occasionally will step out and hit one, but not a big part of his game. Has been a good passer. The passing metrics are probably up a tick the last few years just because Toronto's offense has not been very good, and a lot of it has been run through Siakam. So the passing numbers are probably a little bit inflated, but it's good to see that a player can step into a bigger role and be productive there as a passer. Playmaking cuts, playmaking talent, our metric, cuts through some of that volume problem because it looks at the quality you're creating for others. And if you're creating high-quality shots for teammates, there's, it's pretty hard to, like, fake that, right? Or uh, just volume that up by having the ball a ton. So pretty good indicators there. And, again, that should scale down well. You can never have enough good passers on your team. So recapping the scoring, mid-range game is strong. Finishing game is pretty strong. Not much of a stretch guy. And then the passing is good. So... You like that. His one-on-one -on -one numbers have been good. The overall efficiency is just so-so, but it, once you take into account shot quality and difficulty, has the ability to hit tough shots over players. 
pretty consistently over the last few years. So that is something that you can lean on that can be useful, especially, you know, in the playoffs, defenses get better. You do need tough shot making. So I think all around, this is a pretty good player. I like that he has quite a few offensive skills. A complimentary guy, it's it's nice when you have a player that can kind of do a number of things. There's flexibility in that. I talk about rigidity versus flexibility a lot here, where if you have a bunch of 3 and D guys just on your team, that's good. But we've seen it like with the Rockets when, when they had James Harden, where they were really good. James Harden did everything. They had a bunch of 3 and D guys, and they were really well optimized, but you're also really rigid, where when that isn't working and you have a lot of guys that play really good defense, can hit spot-ups and not do a lot else, when that isn't going it can be tough, things can get stagnant, and it can be really frustrating. Now, the opposite of that is the more versatility you have, the more like wide-ranging of skill sets, the less, I guess, you're more resilient because you can do different things, but your optimization maybe isn't quite as strong. It's a trade-off. I think in the last five-plus years, we've seen it probably bend a little bit too much towards optimization. And now we're seeing it maybe come back a little bit where it's like, hey, it turns out your second and third guy, when they can do a little bit on their own, it's pretty useful. So offensively, a pretty good player, not an elite player, but a very good player. And again, he's not being slotted in as the number one guy. So I don't really, you shouldn't really have too many issues with that. So offensively, I think it should work. I think that should be good. On defense, he's been a better defender earlier in his career, but like I said, as the offensive responsibility has ramped up, the defensive impact has gone down a little bit, and you see that all the time. He's been an above-average defender at D-LeBron over the last few years in his role, which is helper, which is good. None of his defensive metrics really pop. A lot of them are just average where it's like on ball, like pickpocket rating, which is on ball steals, about average for helpers. Passing lane defense, which is intercepted passes and deflection, average. Uh, rim point save for his position, just okay. Like not, <laughs> This is a player that's like really good at, or like uh, very strong across the board would be a good way to say it. Can do a lot of things, but again, doesn't have... I love finding that signature stat for you guys, but this isn't the player to do that. So recapping, pretty good offensive player, can score from you know, different spots on the court, not just a singular skill guy, so that's great. And then on defense, has just been above average, has been solid, nothing spectacular, but this is going to help the team defense because Indiana's defense has been terrible. I was looking at their roster, and they don't have a ton at forward. They have Naismith, who's been who's been all right. They have Obi Toppin, who has not been great on defense. They just don't have a ton of size at the forward position. So Siakam giving you you know thirty to thirty five minutes a night of just solid productive play is really going to help things. You lose Bruce Brown, who's again a solid defender, but overall your team's going to be better because. Siakam's just a much better player than Bruce Brown. Um, But I think just getting the defensive minutes at the forward position from him is going to be solid. I Normally, you'd like to be like, oh, well, maybe his scoring will come down and he will play a little bit more defense. I don't really know how much of that's really going to change because they're still going to need him to score. I know Halliburton runs the show there, but Siakam's still going to need to bring scoring impact. So 
point is you're getting a two-way wing and that's always valuable the more two-way players you have on your roster like the better you are as a team <laughs> I, that's not a very uh that statement doesn't is in hindsight not telling you much but that is what the pacers added in siakam um let's talk about free agency so he is 29 years old this is his prime he's not gonna get better He's not really going to get worse for a few years, probably. He's probably going to stay around this level for the next two to three seasons for sure. But he's making $38 million this year. It's a good chunk of change. He's going to be a free agent. He's going to test free agency. He's already said that. Didn't sign an extension in this deal. And this is where things could get a little bit tricky. Because for me, I have him at about $35 million a year, probably in terms of value. So he's getting paid around what he's been producing, but he's going to hit free agency. He's probably going to get more money. So this deal could be, this deal could be possibly restrictive for the future of the Pacers. If they, I mean, they give up three first round picks. I think they're planning on retaining him. Unless things go really south here in the next few months, which you hope does not happen if you're a Pacers fan. But he's going to get a big chunk of change. This contract will be important because you're going to have Halliburton on a long-term deal. You're going to have Siakam. And then you have Miles Turner. He had like a, he's not getting paid a ton of money. But once you start, he's getting paid like a, 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 some amount of money. <laughs> like a, a middling amount of money for his value. So you start having multiple players on really big deals. And it starts to restrict what you can do. So... What they give him in free agency is going to be a key factor in evaluating this trade. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet, but that is just one thing to note. Again, he's going to be 30 next year. It'll be the age 30 season. So if he's going to get a, you know, a, I guess he could possibly get a five-year deal, but so that'll take him through his, his basically the first half of his 30s, four or five-year deal. Uh, that'll be interesting to see what he gets because... Siakam's not the type of guy I would give crazy money to, but he is a good player, like I said, like a top 50 guy. So that'll be that'll be tricky for Indiana's front office to sort of figure out. Let's break down the picks in the trade. So if you were to just ask me how many picks would you give up for Pascal Siakam and he's an impending free agent, whew, that's tough. I probably would have said two. But in this deal, they gave up three firsts. But when you look into it, it's not as bad as it seems at first. Because I saw three first-round picks, and I was like, ooh, that's a little steep. That's a little much for a guy that is, again, good player, not an elite player, and a guy that is also going to be a free agent. So you don't have the security of a contract. But the picks that they gave up where it was a 2024 first-round pick from the Pacers, which will be not a lotto pick if as long as things continue to go decently well for them. So that's not a crazy valuable pick. And then the other pick is, now hang with me here. This one's a hard one to, to get across via podcast. It'd be easier if you could just read it. It is the least valuable. Again, this is another 2024 first round pick, so the next draft. It's the least valuable between the Rockets, the Clippers, the Thunder, or the Jazz. 
I didn't dig into how this all came about, but I just I just was like, I'll just take this on face value. <laughs> uh, if you look at it, it's going to be the least valuable. So the Clippers and the Thunder are among the top teams in the West. So this pick should be one of the last picks in the first round this year. So we can pretty much safely assume that this is going to be a back end, maybe like a in the 20s first round pick. So it's the Pacers first round pick this year, which should not be a lottery pick. It's probably going to be the Clippers or the Thunder pick, which will not be a lottery pick. And then it's the 2026 Pacers first round pick. So you are giving up three firsts, but two of them are going to be in next year's draft. And you have, especially with the way that one works where there's like four teams involved, you have a very good feeling that those are going to be a very late first round pick. Like you're getting closer to a second round pick than like really a first round pick the more you look into it. So that makes the price not as bad. I'm actually fine with this trade. I like the move by the Pacers because you needed to, if you're going to trade these picks, right? You needed to trade two of them this year because they're going to be in the next draft, right? So you're just going to lose this if you don't. Like we talk about accumulating first round picks all the time and that is valuable and using them as currency because they are valuable, but you kind of needed to, if you didn't want to sign these guys to your team, you did need to make this trade because you needed to get rid of these picks. So I don't hate it as much as I thought I did when I just saw three first round picks. Cause once you look into two of them, you're like, Oh, well two of them aren't that valuable or they don't have the, the possibility of netting something huge. And then hopefully you know, it's a couple years down the road, that 2026 Pacers pick, hopefully you're you're one of the better teams in the league because you still have this core together. So that is, that's pretty much what I wanted to cover in the trade. I feel like we're getting up on 20 minutes here, 20 plus minutes. We talked about what Siakam brings to the table, where he's good, where he's not. We talked about the value of the first round picks, not as expensive as I thought at first. The big decider is going to be the contract where like he's already maybe overpaid a little bit. You know, like I said, he's getting paid $38 million a year this year. I'd have him somewhere maybe like thirties, somewhere in the thirties, but probably under 38 in just terms of where I see his value. Free agency, you normally always make more than you're worth because again, you have everybody kind of competing for that. Two girls, the last two dates I've been on, have said I look like Jason, just kind of reminded them of Jason Kelsey, kind of looked like him. That was big. That's we, If we're going to take away anything from this podcast, that should be one of the details. But yeah, it's. Uh, I saw a headline where it was like the a disappointing return for the Raptors in this trade. And I'm like, I don't know. You got three first-round picks for an impending free agent. And you got Bruce Brown, who you could trade again. I didn't get that article. I... Uh, I wanted to retweet it and be like, what the heck? What are, you, what are you talking about? But then I was like, you know what? I don't know if it's going to add much positivity into the, I might get an extra follower out of it, but I don't know if that's worth it to start a uh, argument slash debate without tone on the internet. Those tend not to go particularly well. People get a little defensive. Um, so I decided not to do that. But I'm here on the podcast. Well, we're, we're among friends. I'm like, what is this? Why would you write that headline? Come on. Come on. You're better than that. You're better than that. Either you really don't know and you think Pascal Siakam's way better than he is, where it's like, listen to this episode. I'll help you out. Or 
You're trying to get some clicks. Maybe you were trying to get some clicks. Yeah, I, we've all done it. We've all tried to get some clicks before, but I thought the headline was kind of dumb. All right. It's going to wrap it up for this episode. You want to talk to me on Twitter at Taylor Metrics. Let me know what you think about the deal. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Are you excited about Siakam with the Pacers? Were you uncomfortable with the three first round picks? Let me know. Uh, it's going to wrap it up. Oh, uh, on the website, our team leaderboards app is now up. It is updated for this year with 2024 data. You can look at team depth of any stat you want. You can use the, uh, what is it, like the scatter headshot, scatter plot tool is what we call it, but it's the team emblems instead of players. So you can look at which teams are good at what stats. Uh, we just tweeted out a bunch of those today on the account. People really liked them. And uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. And instead of looking things at a player level, you can look at them at a team level. So that's always a fun one and uh, good to have that one up to date. Big ups to the apps guys for uh, getting that one ready to go. But yeah, it's going to do it for this one. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index podcast.